The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Negotiate Real Change podcast, where we highlight leaders who are creating positive change in their organizations. The more we talk to leaders in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, the more we started to recognize the patterns of successful change makers within organization. What we found is that when it comes to creating positive change, simply being a passionate professional who's armed with data, statistics, and research is rarely enough to create real change. So in this show, we'll share the secrets behind what it really takes for you to be a successful advocate, ally, and change maker in your organization. My name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, where we conduct negotiation and conflict resolution trainings that help to make your difficult conversations easier. We also conduct trainings in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion because we realize that there's a difference between passion and persuasion. And if you want to create real change, you have to be able to negotiate and resolve the conflict that comes with change. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do, make sure to check out the AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com or check the link in the description of this episode. And now, without further ado, let's get into the interview. So I was a full-time um, private practice owner. And so I had my therapy practice and then was considering going into the workplace belonging and well-being space, but then... Uh, end up having a surprise baby and had to put things on pause. And so I had only had maybe a handful of like speaking engagements in 2018 before I ended up, you know, delivering our, our son. Um, and then I was like 2019, beginning of 2020, I was like, I want to get back into this. I actually think I want to really go into this space of, of professional speaking and consulting and the nine, I was going to say nine eleven. It was pretty much almost like a nine eleven. Like COVID it. happened, um, and it literally opened the door for me because, of course, everybody wanted to talk about mental health because of COVID. And then um, months later, the murder of George Floyd, and so they're like, "Oh, we also want to have like a wellness, you know, space." And oh, well, can you talk about DEI? Can you do this? And I was like, "Well, I've always wanted to talk about mental health in the workplace, but now y'all are ready to listen." somewhat. And so I took advantage of it. And then that's literally how Working Well Daily started um, to, to, to flourish. And so now I'm in like year three officially. Um, and it's been great. It's been great. Um, and I've, I've seen how much I've, I've shifted in what I want to do and what I don't want to do, um, where I've left the DEI practitioners to do their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I'm like, this is where I come alongside you in a support, but I am not a DEI practitioner. I'm uh, a clinician that addresses belonging and well-being from that clinical and emotional intelligence lens. Like, I'm not here to help you rewrite processes and policies, but uh, the knowledge that I give you, I hope will help you support the work that you're doing within your organizations to create better policies and procedures for the people who work there. Love it. Oh, this is cool. This is cool. We're going to talk about emotional intelligence yes. just in general, but of course, as it relates to um, negotiation and conflict resolution. And now when we think about emotional intelligence, 
I know there are lots of different definitions floating mm-hmm. around out there. So what does that mean to you? What's our operational definition for this episode? It is emotional intelligence is being able to really know yourself um, and be able to read the room is how I simply define it. You know, it's being able to be comfortable with your emotions and be aware that other people (laughs) have emotions too, and that you are able to understand them and manage them um, with with ease. And so I feel like we are so, so desperately lacking um, our ability to truly know ourselves and control ourselves uh, and we are also not taking the time to really see that other people are hurting or are in need. Um, I say that <laughs> these last two and a half years have been like the worst group project ever. <laughs> I was like, we are failing at this group project um, because people aren't using their EQ. They're not uh, being empathetic. They're not regulating their emotions. They're not effectively communicating. You know, we are just becoming very self-centered and thinking about our own stuff. And I understand it's been hard. Um, we've had a lot of loss. We've had a lot of uncertainty and we're still in it. Um, but this is a time for us to be more connected to people. Uh, and the only way to, I, I can see us doing that well is by elevating our emotional intelligence. This is great. And I love how succinctly you were able to define that. It's almost like you're like in the the final processes of writing a book on the topic or anything, would that be a, a fair hypothesis to? I love your there? educated guess. Yes, it is a fair hypothesis, Kwame. Um, I am. I am in uh, near the final stages of uh, completing my book, The Color of Emotional Intelligence. Um, it's really about how inequity has impacted the skill set and how we all don't use our emotional intelligence in the same way, Um, the same way we all don't cook chicken the same way, and we don't make our pizza the same way. You know, it seems like a skill we all have, but um, those of us who have been historically and uh, systemically marginalized use emotional intelligence differently. This is great. And I think that'll be a really helpful resource. The the more voices we get sharing this type of information, the better off the world would be. And I think it's important for everybody to to recognize that there are differences and then that it's important to recognize that so we can actually do something so we can learn and grow and and, um, develop ourselves in a way that's authentic to who we are. And And to have those difficult conversations, Kwame. Bingo. Perfect segue. (laughs) Perfect segue. Because what we're realizing is when we think about emotional intelligence, especially as the way that you described it, knowing yourself, the ability to read the room, understanding that other people have emotions and respecting that, and then being able to manage our own emotions that puts Mm -hmm. us in a better position to manage the emotions of others. um, It sounds really obvious why this is good. And at the same time, We realize that emotional intelligence is becoming a lost art. So what is it that makes this critical skill so difficult to acquire? Mm, That's a very good question. I don't think we are very good Um, self-auditors. Self-awareness is one of the domains of, of emotional intelligence, and it's really the bedrock of it. You know, the more we are aware of ourselves, the more we are able to know how we're showing up. Um, but we need feedback, and people don't like that F word. <laughs> like, wait, no, you, 
don't really tell me about myself. Just, just affirm me and, 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 you know, um, make me feel good. And the thing is that it's like looking at a mirror and walking away and forgetting what you look like. Like you need a reflection back at you to tell you that you got, you know, some spinach in your teeth or, you know, there's something, you know, on the side of your eye or whatever. And that's what emotional intelligence is, but that self-awareness, the more I'm able to understand that I may not be as good of a listener as I thought I was because I asked my partner, Hey, how, how, how do you think I am in our communication and my listening? Um, when we're asking our colleague, you know, how, how am I showing up? You know, am I impatient? Um, am I speaking over people, you know, during meetings, those type of things? We need to get that feedback. And so we need to get it from either people that we trust and feel safe with, or sometimes it's not necessarily a person that's close, but you know that that person is very direct <laughs> and is going to give you exactly what you need to hear, even if it doesn't feel comfortable so that you can understand how you're landing on other people. But we're not curious enough about ourselves, I don't feel. you know, And that's what I mean about being good self-auditors, to really do that self-check. Um, and then I feel like there's all this conversation about emotional intelligence, but not enough about, and this is probably because I'm a clinician, um, our emotional narratives. Like, where did we first learn about feelings? You know, how did your family talk about feelings? Did they sweep things under the rug? Did they... Um, express emotions, but violently, aggressively, you know, so if you're sweeping things under the rug, you might be a conflict avoidant person. You know, if you grew up in a household where it was aggressive or violent, you might find yourself being very short tempered or have actually anxiety whenever you see any type of aggression. So I'm like, we can't talk about being smart about emotional intelligence without first understanding what did we learn about feelings? in our family of origin, even with society, like what do we tell boys, man up, you know, quit your crying, you know, so even tender emotions aren't really accepted. And even with girls, you know, are you you're being too emotional? Is it, is it that time of the month? Um, and yet again, as I said earlier, this is such an uncertain time. There's so much loss. And yet we are not able to have tender emotions with one another because we've grown up with this narrative that those tender emotions of fear and sadness aren't safe to express. Um, and that's where I feel like we're falling short and why it's so important to like relearn and become students of emotional intelligence so that we can be better for ourselves and for everybody else around us. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And we will be right back after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. 
a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. I agree 100%. And like you said, self-auditing, that's where it starts. And that's where it usually ends um, and fails <laughs> because people don't do it. And uh, to, to quote oh, a wise philosopher, uh, truth hurts. And that's that's Lizzo, of course. Yes. And um, because I will tell you, when I think about some of like the things that I've done, I've said or done to trigger mm. humility in myself, it wasn't the intent. I wanted to like puff myself up. So I would ask my partner or I would ask a colleague at work. I was like, on a scale of one to 10, would you say I listen? Or how did I make you feel after that conversation? I'm like... <laughs> I'm an expert. This board is going to be phenomenal. Um, it's not the case. I'm, I'm much better when it's like a, a more technical business oriented situation. It's easy for me to be disconnected and not, I shouldn't say disconnected. I should say more dispassionate. The more emotionally mm. attached I am, um, the more I fall into more human elements. And I mean, human in more of a negative sense where I allow my emotions to take control in a negative type of way. Mm. Um, but there's like becoming more emotional intelligent requires you to be attached to those emotions, understand them, but not let them get in the way of productive dialogue. Right. And so, yes. yeah, I've been, <laughs> this is, I'm growing, I'm growing. And I think this is really important. I'm, I'm glad that you also talked about the emotional narratives. That's not something that I've heard before. And um, listeners, before we, we got into the episode, or I guess flowed into this conversation, <laughs> I should say, um, we were connecting over the fact that we're both Caribbean Americans. Uh, Farah is from Haiti, born in Haiti. My dad is from Dominica. My mom is from Guyana. And um, I'm sure you're familiar with this, uh, this archetype here, the, the stoic Caribbean male you know it was uh it was years before i like allowed myself to feel mm. you know and um i didn't it's so funny because i would spend all these years teaching people emotional intelligence through negotiation and everything and then um you know farah when your therapist starts quoting parts of your book to you <laughs> in, in a session oh my ooh. gosh it, like it ooh, is you're stepping on to toes Exactly. You're not supposed to do that. I didn't make this book for you. But yeah, this is great. I, I want to go deeper into mm. those emotional narratives. Like how yeah. do we uncover not just the fact that we have these emotional narratives? Once we recognize them, what do we do about it? Yeah, that's 
that's good work. And it's funny that you said your therapist was saying things back to you. So obviously I, I advocate for, for therapy or just a space where you can process. Um, we like to believe that we are rational human beings. We're just logical. And, you know, we show up and we, we do business and that's, that's all this is, but we're the sum of our parts. And so we can't ignore the fact that we grew up in a certain environment, whether it was in foster care or with our grandparents or with our, 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 our biological parents, whatever the circumstance is, we have to really uncover it for us to uncover ourselves. You know, you can't truly know yourself if you don't take time to really dig deep and go, okay, why am I the way that I am? Um, so it's, it's opportunities to slow yourself down. Um, and actually in the first part of the book, before I even get into the inequity piece or quote unquote, add color to the EQ, for anyone who doesn't even know what emotional intelligence is, the whole first part is an introduction in black and white, what it is. And I help you to um, ask those questions. I mean, it's literally what I just asked you, like, what is your emotional ear? How did your family talk about feelings? What was that like? Did they dismiss your emotions? Um, have you had any experience of trauma where, you know, you may have grown up with a healthy family dynamic, but something happened, you know, there was abuse or there was um, where, where your boundaries were violated, whether it was sexually or emotionally, and that shut you down. And so now you feel like you can't articulate your emotions. So your emotional vocabulary kind of gets stunted. All of those experiences that we have, we have to uncover. So that could be through journaling. If you aren't ready for therapy yet, you know, that you're able to, to put it out there so you can see it. Um, not so that you can, um, you know, go down this rabbit hole, but more so that you can have a little bit more ownership to your story that you can go, okay, well, this is it but I'm the editor. I can rewrite this. You know, maybe my parents didn't teach me these skills, but I can learn how to be more emotionally intelligent. I like how you said um, earlier, you know, that you're just not letting your emotions take over. Um, I have a, a phrase of walking the dog. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with the dog whisperer. The, oh yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like years ago I was watching the show and, and Caesar I think that's his name, um, is teaching his clients like how to walk a dog. And he said, you don't want the dog to be in front of you. You don't want the dog to be behind you. You want to make sure that you're walking right alongside the dog. And I'm big on metaphors and analogies. And I was like, oh, this is the perfect picture of what emotional intelligence is. You don't want your emotions to be leading you, right? And guiding you, they're in control. You're going from zero to 100.2 seconds. You don't want them to be behind you because you can't see what's coming. You, so that's like passive or passive aggressive behavior. You want your dog, a.k.a. your emotions, to be walking lock and step with you so that you can see them, you can engage with them, you can manage them. And that's how you're practicing, like, at least the first two domains of emotional intelligence of self-awareness and self-management. I see my emotions. I'm happy because X, Y, and Z. I'm angry because this happened. I'm frustrated or I'm sad because, you know, so we're, we're being aware, we're, we're assessing where it came from, and then we're hopefully now being able to address the situation in the right way. So when we're learning about our emotional narratives, we want to practice those three A's of being aware of our own narrative, assessing what came 
about like why is it this way this is not to blame your parents dad this is your fault that i don't you know i don't cry from in front of my wife or whatever but even to take a moment and practice that empathy that social awareness piece of like well why did my dad raise me this way you know being caribbean <laughs> children we understand that life was different we understand there's a cultural component there and that's not to excuse them but it helps you to understand there's a reason why and after you've assessed that, then you can go, okay, well, how do I want to address this? What, what action can I put forward that will serve me and ideally other people well? So it's just taking the moment to practice the pause and just ask yourself, what is my story? This is great. I, I, I love EQ. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> I know. I could too. And my listeners are like, yeah, Kwame, we know. <laughs> yeah. and we've can, been here before. <laughs> we've been here before, right? And so I can hear the, the very business-driven people in the audience like, when are you going to get to the negotiation stuff? Okay, let's get to the negotiation stuff. So let's, let's paint this picture. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens if you do not have a high EQ in a difficult conversation? What is the risk? Ooh, several things could happen um, depending on what emotion is coming up for you. So if you aren't practicing your EQ to regulate yourself or as the wise words of Ice Cube, check yourself before you wreck yourself, um, <laughs> you can run the risk of losing whatever it is that you're you're trying to gain in the negotiation. So if you're leading with anger, uh, no one wants to negotiate with a hothead. You know, no one wants to negotiate with someone that doesn't seem like they have it together, especially if you're trying to create a, a contract to form a relationship. So it's not a one time, you know, one and done, like you're just trying to, to bargain a, a, a car, you know, it's, if it's a long-term relationship, someone goes, ah, this is how you're going to deal with this negotiation. I may not want to, to work with you going forward. Um, if it's anxiety that you can't regulate, then you may try to opt out of the, you know, you know better than me. Negotiations sometimes could, could take some time, right? It's not just always a one-time conversation, but if anxiety or fear is something that you don't regulate, then you might opt out before you actually even get to what you what it is that you want, you know, you might re- misread, um, and, and anger can do this too. The other person's words or facial expressions because you're in fight or flight mode. So learning how to use your EQ and regulate yourself and manage your emotions allows you to pace the negotiation much better. So you're not so quick to exit, and you're not also so quick to <laughs> to burn a bridge. Um, but it allows you to um, even to notice what's happening with the, your counterpart. Are they getting angry? Is there time for you to maybe have a well-timed joke, you know, to bring some levity to the situation? Um, are they nervous? And if so, what can you say that could assure them and can bring some type of, of um uh, calm to the situation. So it's not just, you know, you being able to check yourself, but it allows you to also be able to check the other person if they're, you know, losing it and they're getting out of control that you can say, Hey, you know, maybe we need a brief recess. Maybe we need to take a break. We'll come back to this, you know, after we've, we've cooled down a bit. Um, because you want ideally a good negotiation, both parties walk away feeling content, 
you know, that they feel like they they did. They may have had to compromise on some things, but at the end, they got what they wanted. And so if we don't allow ourselves to really manage our feelings well, we can end up losing you know, we may get the, the job this one time, but may lose, you know, future opportunities with, with this company or this person. Um, or if it's anxiety, we may get a worse deal than what we really wanted because we were operating out of fear. Yeah, I love this. So essentially, it has a negative impact on our performance. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. the long story short, that's, that's really what it comes down to, because our emotions will have an impact on our words, our actions our decision-making, our perception of the situation and the other person, our analysis of ourselves and the other person. We're going to make worse reads. We're going to perform at a, a lower level. Yeah. And uh, the, what you said about the pacing is really interesting because you think about um, a, like a car, for instance. Mm -hmm. a, um, like imagine if you are driving really fast and you're redlining your car. Um, I, of course, this is something I've never done. I've I'm, I always drive the speed limit, but hypothetically, hypothetically, let's, <laughs> hypothetically, let's say you are growing up in a small town, let's say Tiffin, Ohio, and you're on a country road and nobody else is there and you are 16 and you want to play with your car. And oh, then I you, loved how you can picture this so quickly yeah, in your mind. I know mm -hmm. I'm a storyteller. I'm yes, a storyteller. you are. And so what we do then is you, you floor it <laughs> and you see how long you could do it. And then after a couple of minutes, your car turns off and you're like, your par my parents are going to kill me. Um, Caribbean American parents operate differently. They have a different set of laws and I'm going to die today. And that's just, that's just that's kind of like how your brain works, too, because yeah. if you are redlining emotionally for too long a period of time, then you are eventually going to get tired. Mm. Just think about um, when it comes to willpower. Willpower is like a, a, a muscle, right? We have decision-making fatigue. Um, all of those types of things are going to impact how long you can stay in the conversation. When I'm thinking about my mediations, I mean, some of these mediations could be like three and a half hours long. You have to be able to stay focused. Yeah. And if you're allowing yourself to burn too hot emotionally and you're not managing yourself and pacing yourself, then your brain slowly starts to get tired. And then you make worse reads, you make poor decisions, and then you cannot last long enough to be effective toward the end of the conversation. Because if you're effective for 90% of the conversation, then your brain starts to fail <laughs> for the last 10% when you're supposed to be making a decision. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost like the other 90% doesn't matter. So I, I really like that injection of pacing into the consideration yeah. too. Yeah. I love that you pretty much broke down the, like the neuroscience of what happens um, to our brains when we're, when we're processing emotion or when we're, we're dealing in stressful situations, right? Because our prefrontal cortex, which is like in the front of your, 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 I would say like right in the middle of your forehead, you know, if, if we wanted to place it there, it's, the boss of our brain. It's the rational, logical decision-making area. And it takes a lot of energy <laughs> to use that. So our amygdala, which is like in the middle of our brain, is what houses all of our emotions. Our brainstem is where our fight, flight, or freeze kicks in. And those two parts love to talk and hijack the brain a lot. And so when we're pacing, we're practicing the pause, you know, taking those deep breaths, those calculated deep breaths, you know, counting to 10, you know, sometimes I tease, some of y'all need to count to 100, um, you know, um, it allows that oxygen and the blood to flow so that, you know, you're moving from like the low brain to your high brain. And 
we, that's what we want. We want to go from low emotional intelligence to high emotional intelligence. We don't want our brain to be hijacked by our limbic system where we're just letting all of that, you know, raw emotion come through without asking ourselves, well, why when Kwame said this, it triggered this, this anxiety or, or why is this making me upset? And you have to pace yourself so you can ask yourself the real question. Oh, when he said it in that tone, it reminded me of this. You know, and I remember the other time where I felt like I was not being heard and that's what's coming up. So let me pause for a second and then say something that will help me advocate for myself going like, hey, Kwame, let's slow down a second. You know, you're talking over me. Can you give me a moment instead of going, oh, my gosh, you know, you're not listening. I'm done (laughs) or or you start shutting down. You know, you may not say anything, but you just start shutting down and you're not listening to what the other person says. So really understanding how our brain is even processing the emotions um, and what the brain needs to process and pace well is so important. So that pacing, that taking the deep breath, you know, practicing the pause is so needed for, like you said, it's, it's it, you know, sometimes it could be a long marathon of a mediation. You want to pace yourself well, because like you said, if you ran great for 90%, but you don't cross the finish line, like people would be like, what, why did we come here? Like, what was the point <laughs> for giving you the water and cheering you on? Like, can you, can you run this last mile? So you want to pace yourself well so you can make it across the finish line. Yes, well said. I, I love this. It's it's so helpful. And especially the the advice of slowing down and counting. And I think people it's really helpful to understand the psychology behind that mm-hmm. because we could say, Oh, you know, I've heard this so many times. It becomes almost like a truism. It's too trite. Right. And yeah. we just become, you know, numb to that advice, but it's really, it's the easiest way to trigger your parasympathetic nervous system yes. where you're actually slowing it down. Right. It's just that simple taking that deep breath. And what I found also is that a lot of times people are afraid of showing whether or not they are feeling something. I am Mm. not afraid to let people know if I'm feeling something, if I'm frustrated, mad, those type of things, I'm not going to flip tables. Uh, But (laughs) you'll, you'll see, you'll see that like, okay, I said something Mm -hmm. and usually Kwame responds pretty quickly, but now he's taking five seconds, like five or so Mm -hmm. seconds. He took a couple of deep breaths and slowed down before saying the next thing. Mm-hmm. And so what I've realized is that there earlier in my career, I used to thought that was a, a weakness. I didn't want to show any type of, um, that I was affected in any way. Mm. But now I realize that it is really a strength because it shows that you are controlling the, the, the moment. Mm-hmm. You're controlling yourself. And a lot of times we have to remember this important thing a lot of times we have these underhanded negotiation tactics where you might be dealing with a bully, somebody who is not negotiating in good faith. And a major part of the success of those um, underhanded negotiation tactics are contingent upon you making a bad decision in the moment Mm. due to emotional pressure. Hmm. And if you can demonstrate to the person that no matter what you do, I'm not going to make a bad decision because of emotional pressure, then you diffuse a lot of the negativity and and bad behavior that could come your way. That's good. That's good, Kwame. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is so key. And I think we, we, and I know you, you've mentioned this, probably several times um, on, on this podcast, that it's not just 
um, in the boardroom that we're having conversations about negotiations. It's, it's with our toddlers. It's with our, you know, friends, it's with our partners. And, um, you know, when we talk about slowing ourselves down, so I'm speaking to the parents out there that have had experiences with toddlers, you know, and we're watching them like lose it. And it's going to escalate if we don't slow ourselves down. And if we're not calm and if we're not creating this kind of like baseline for them to see us modeling ourselves, walking our dog, quote unquote, you know, managing our emotions well. Um, but I think that, you know, what you said is so important because if I'm the other person that's trying to aggravate you and agitate you and you're like, yeah, I'm going to breathe through this because <laughs> I see what you're doing. Um, it throws them off their game. And, you know, and again, if you're trying to come out of this, well, you know, it's not like, I'm not trying to say we want them to fail, but we want the, us to be working on a, a, a mutual playing field, you know, like, okay, stop playing these games. I see what you're doing. Let's slow down together and actually talk about what we're here to talk about. And I think that's um, the hope is when you're practicing high emotional intelligence, that it will be something that will be contagious and the other person decides, okay, you know, let's, let's do this together. Exactly. And again, it goes to one of the things I, I talk about called conversational leadership. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that I want to have an effective negotiation. I think about it in terms of me coaching the other person through my behavior on how you should act. Right. You see this? I'm upset. I'm clearly upset. You can tell because I took a deep breath, but mm -hmm. I didn't eviscerate you. You deserve it. You know, you do. <laughs> But I didn't do that. Touch you. And, <laughs> but I won't. Right? But I won't do it. And I expect the same thing in return. Right. And so it's constantly taking advantage of these opportunities to not just lead yourself emotionally in these conversations, mm. but also to demonstrate how you should, you can and should carry yourself in a conversation to the other person. You're right. Yeah. It is contagious. And they might not consciously realize, oh, yeah, I like the way that Farah handled that. Mm -hmm. I should do that, too. They're just realizing we're we are collectively creating a culture for our little bubble of a conversation. Yes. Oh, I like that little bubble. We are. We, that's not what we do. We, yeah. we, we keep our cool. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I you know, one of the things that's really frustrating, Farah, you'll see this um, when it comes to writing a book is the book has to end, but your growth never ends. And so one of the most frustrating things is coming up with these cool concepts and terms. And I'm like, why is that not in the book? In the book? But that's because it's for the next book. Exactly. It's for the next book. Um, and, and I think that's the exciting thing because what that lets us know, um, and I think this is also why people continue to enjoy your content, is that you remain a student. In, in what you teach, you know, and I think great leaders stay studious, <laughs> uh, stay wanting to, to learn more. Um, and also, you know, because you still want to stay a few steps ahead of those that you're, you're teaching. And so to, it, there's no final destination in, in all that you're, you're learning. There's going to be new things that get downloaded into you where you're just like, oh, that's brilliant. Why wasn't this in the book? Because it's for the next one. <laughs> it's for exactly. the next one. Exactly. Exactly. And this is a perfect segue for yeah. you to shout mm -hmm. out your book again before it comes out. Let's let's prime the pump a little bit and yeah. also let the listeners know about how they can get in touch with you as well. 
Yeah. So again, the book is The Color of Emotional Intelligence, um, and it will be coming out in 2023. If you are interested in joining my pre-launch group so you can get behind the scenes, you know, uh, details and everything, um, as I make my way through publishing and launching, you can go to workingwelldaily.com slash books. Uh, if you want to follow me, which you should, <laughs> um, on LinkedIn and on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Farah Harris LCPC. Um, and if you want to learn more about the work that I do for organizations and individuals and leaders, uh, you can visit workingwelldaily.com. Love it. Farah, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.